it seemed like if there was going to be a time it was now or never and there's never a plan b if we commit to something then we make it work yeah we needed to understand that we're both in quite significant areas that can positively affect a lot of people and i feel like the power of it comes from having the conversations being able to understand this is where we're heading I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville. And in today's episode of Brave, I sit down with Kate and Joe. To me, Kate and Joe are a power couple because they're both career focused and at different times decided to move in a different direction. Challenging that change and supporting each other through that is what I wanted to discuss. Enjoy today's chat with Kate and Joe. The Community Information Centre pays respects to the Woolgarugaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. I'm joined by Kate and Joe today, so welcome. Hello. It feels strange though because we're on opposite sides of the room pretty much. You are. Yes, thank you for having us. Kate, defence was your background. Can we start with you and explore how you got into defence? Yeah, I've done a lot of thinking about this recently, actually, because I feel like in some ways I haven't left defence in that I'm now a journalist covering defence. Um, it has had a subtle influence on my entire life in that I've always been surrounded by that pride of the military. My mum's cousin was in the army. He's now a police officer. My grandfather fought in World War II. His brother died in World War II. My uncle fought in the Vietnam War. Um, So not just the pretty sides of what military life can bring, which has really influenced my upbringing and my identity I suppose Um, for a lot of years there were a lot of things that you just couldn't talk to granddad about so I suppose it was that curiosity as well Um, it was really a no-brainer for me I was looking around in my senior high school years just going what am I going to do I always knew that I was going to be a journalist but it just didn't feel like that was the immediate future And so I had caught up with my mum's cousin who was quite a senior army rank and just having those chats with him and I think you really need to be surrounded by people at that time of your life that are questioning you and not putting pressure but just giving that little subtle injection of confidence. And so at the end of those holidays in year 10, I when I did my testing um, to join what I thought at the time was the Navy. Um, Yeah, it was through that initial appointment that I was talking to the recruiter about all the things that made me as a person and my interests. And he just sort of put the pen down and said, "Mm, I just don't think Navy's for you. Have you considered the Army? And so that started my journey into the Army. In that period between uh, doing my initial 
recruiting and then waiting to go to Kapuka, I'd actually started working in radio, just doing some casual and then part-time work. And I was enjoying it too much that I decided actually to do reserves. And so I'd spend, I spent the first year doing um, mornings in radio, afternoons as a reservist. And my RSM just pulled me aside and said, what are you doing? We need to get you full time. And so after doing a, um, a full-time contract for almost a year, I just got swept up in the posting cycle and, and continued on. Joe, with you, you came from a big family growing up, is that right? Big extended family, but only a family of five. But yeah, very, very stable family. Um, I'm a son of, of typical migrant parents who migrated from Samoa in the Pacific to New Zealand. Huge, um, huge cultural shock for them, you know, being, having such, I guess, high profiles in a small country in Samoa and then moving and being the small fish was quite humbling for them and they are very humble people. So they started all afresh um, in 86 and just, um, they just have very selfless, a selfless way of living and I think that's that's one of their strong qualities that that kind of was instilled in us boys my brothers and I um, at a young age which kind of um, directs the rest of our lives and where we ended up and and things like that and the way we live we're very privileged because they reminded us every day <laughs> how lucky we were to be in a, in a big country and um, what our lives would look like or would have looked like if they stayed in Samoa. So mm. it keeps us grounded, very um, humble and, and grateful and just counting our blessings every day, which, which again dictates the way I live life. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of where you ended up, which was education, what steered you towards taking a career path in education? Yeah, look, I think it stems from my dad mocking my mum a lot because my mum was an educator. She was a teacher in Samoa and my dad was more of the entrepreneurial type person who uh, started as a fisherman selling big fish to big businesses there in Samoa and um, got a lot of contracts, started acquiring a lot of um, other businesses like petrol stations and shops and that was their whole family's story, was, which is why they kind of had a reputation mm. before they moved to New Zealand. And um, the, my mum's side of the story was she was an educator and they got paid very poorly. And so my dad would always say, yeah, when I was making um, all that money, your mum was making 30 tala a fortnight. And that's like next to nothing. And it was... Um, something that my mum and dad would always joke about. They didn't want us to go down the same route that they did because they did go through a few struggles and it was, it was a huge reason why they moved to New Zealand for, for the opportunities for myself and my brothers to, I guess, that traditional mindset of getting a good education, getting a university degree and getting a good job that will pay well and look, we can look after the family sort of thing. So, um, 
like throughout school, I was getting myself involved in anything youth related. So I think it started when I went, I went through the whole Sunday school thing every Sunday. And then they asked me to be like a mentor and start teaching as well as I got I grew older. So I was always involved with the youth growing up. And I think that's where I began to develop that passion for working with the youth and and connecting with them in a different way. Mm. Yeah. Kate, coming out of the army wasn't exactly your choice, do you think? It was definitely on my terms. Was? And I think that that's really important, actually, for anyone that has an injury or starts to see their career moving in a direction that they didn't predict, which was very much the case for me, um, in that... I'd gone for my um, first hip surgery after uh, a back injury and a hip injury that was left lingering for probably a bit too long and was misdiagnosed and fully intended to bounce back from that and I'd be, you know, back into it. But by the time my surgeon was telling me that we'd be looking at a minimum of three hip surgeries, the writing was on the wall that I wouldn't be able to stay in the army and so I really needed to take control of that situation so I went back I re-enrolled in uni and just started building a plan for what life outside of the army would look like. So now you're a journalist and you've been journalisming is that how we say it? I don't know that that's quite a thing Um, what would we call that? Journalizing? Yeah, let's go with that. That? (laughs) You've been doing it now for a while. (laughs) Yeah, so 2018, I guess, is when I first could call myself an official journalist and was um, working for ABC at the time and then took my first full-time job, which was initially with Wynn, and then an opportunity popped up at the Townsville Bulletin and I jumped over there as the defence reporter. And talking to you, like, we've had many conversations and I always hear you talk about that you love reporting on stories. What's the difference between you writing stories to reporting news? There's a big difference. News obviously involves people and humans. You're reporting on facts, but stories are allowing the person to have their voice heard and to tell their own story. And as a journalist, it's really just my job to help uh, mold that and, and push it along. Um, but I'm a, of the firm belief that a journalist's voice should never be heard in a story. And the reason I, I love stories is because I love people and I think it's that curiosity. And if you don't have that quality as a journalist, you probably are in the wrong industry. Mm. So you also don't just wear a journalism hat you wear quite a few other hats as well. Can we? Can you tell us what they are? Yeah, I'm a mother to two young boys um, and then obviously a wife, which we'll get into as well. 
Um, <laughs> but I also, um, it sounds really strange to kind of put a, a title to them because to me it's more just about being part of that community. But I am the North Queensland convener for um, women in media, which is a, a national group um, which was really just born out of supporting other women in the industry. And then the other group that I'm part of is the Women Veterans Network Australia. And they're volunteer positions. They are. Yeah, but I don't feel like, and I I think that every volunteer would feel the same, is that you do these things out of passion and interest and they they're fulfilling for you so it it's not really about anything else mm-hmm. joe you're a high school teacher yes and you were in the education system for how long uh here in australia for s- six years and yes. then through that process while you love your job and you're very passionate about it what made you decide to transition from that education system to a system that you had more control over which was drive lane i think it just comes from a personal mindset of starting with the end in mind and so when i got into education i knew it was an education system that i will never be in control of as a teacher as a creator um, i have a creative side and i and i was kind of pitching different ways of doing things and getting knocked back and a whole lot of red tape. What does that feel like for constantly getting knocked back? Like you're trying to champion change and get getting knocked back on those ideas. And some of them are working too. Oh, it's absolutely annoying. Like uh, it just frustrated the crap out of me. It was, um, but at the same time, like, you know your place. Like, and and when I alluded to it earlier with, starting with the end of mine, I knew I was going to get out of teaching. I just needed to know how teaching works, get that experience, understand how the system works, understand what's missing, understand how I can provide value that isn't already being provided, and then leave and actually make a bigger difference than I was in the classroom. So even though I, was, I had an impact on the five classes that I would teach, and even moving into a leadership role like that was minuscule in in terms of the impact I wanted to make I wanted from the beginning to reach more youth but it was enough for me to to understand that I need to do my own thing I need to be in control of what I deliver and I need to be aligned with my passion and purpose and making sure that my purpose of developing young confident young leaders is starts with getting into schools and breaking that stigma that leadership is for a specific type of person and that's what's happening in the in the schools at the moment the the kids are looking around and saying well leadership is only for kate and people like Teresa because they have those skills they have those straight a's they have 100 percent attendance they never wag and the kids we don't have to put much effort in yeah yeah and and kids that don't have to try they just naturally have it whereas me here failing or me here just passing you know i'm not good enough and that's the that's the current climate amongst the youth 
And it's because the conversations aren't being facilitated around, hang on, anyone can be a leader, but then even that has been said in the school context, but then there's no follow-up to that. And the actions that happen around that don't actually align with what they just said, anyone can be a leader. Well, if anyone can be a leader, why do you keep asking Kate and Teresa to stand up and have all the responsibilities? And what about us who you just said, we can be leaders as well, and yet I don't see any actions that are aligned with what you're saying. So I think it just really fires me up to then be that person in that position where I can make make a difference and, and provide a platform where kids do feel like they do have a leadership power. A lot of that comes down to what the framework is with Strive Lane, and that's to develop confident young self-leaders first. Because I'm a big believer in if you can lead yourself well, you'll earn the right to lead others. But you can't lead others if you haven't got your own personal stuff sorted you know your emotions the way you carry yourself um, with your values and so we start with making sure kids have a core value system mm -hmm. and just making sure that they 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 have that self-awareness before interacting with others or before taking on a leadership role and you know what that's that's what a whole lot of adults don't get right and they just see leadership as a title it's it's an authoritative title that they're working towards and they'll step all over people just to get that leadership title and then once they're in the leadership title they wonder why they're walking alone and it's ridiculous because then they expect people to follow them and expect people to listen to them and it's like well your people or your followers or your your colleagues or your team don't respect you because what you've said has no credibility everything you've said is totally the opposite way of how you do things so i'm very passionate to make sure that stigma is broken in the education system um, and it begins with our next generation and we've got a, a strong generation coming through that that has a, a very significant disconnect to the adults of today and i just love being not only the conduit between the traditional curriculum system and, and the youth and leaders of tomorrow. And so that's where I guess Strive Lane, developing tomorrow's leaders comes into play where I do have that control and I, it's a lifelong passion and business of mine that I will do happily to my grave. Like I'll do it for life. Like it, I'll do it for free when, if, if money, everything money related was taken care of, I'd happily do that for free. So you were in a very stable career, Kate, you had a job, journal, that's a word again, journalism, whatever it is, you were in a job where you were able to fulfill your passion and career, but you know, while doing your passion, you're almost handcuffed. So both of you have transitioned out of those lanes, but you're now married, you now have two children. So what did that look like for you two as a couple and as a family? A lot of conversations. <laughs> it was bloody tough, yeah. Like, let's be honest, that it was never going to be an easy road, and I think that's where we can start. It was, it was one of those things that we needed to understand that we're both quite driven 
individuals and we're, we're, we're both in quite significant areas of careers that can positively affect a lot of people. And I, I feel like the power of it comes from having the conversations that Kate was talking about, very tough conversations as well, just being able to understand this is where we're heading and this is where we're at now. How, how can we make it work? Because it's not just us two anymore. We've got two young boys that you know need us and how can we make it work where we're present but at the same time not stunting our growth and so I think Kate can say more about how the conversations went down or but that's the important thing isn't it it's conversations between the both of you and that you are both on the same page and you may not have been at the start but I think it's about being dreamers but in a practical way. And I suppose that going on maternity leave and having to weigh up the cost of early childcare really nudged us in the direction of um, of jumping into this new career because when we stacked up the numbers, we were running at a loss by sending our kids to childcare and holding down these full-time jobs. So it didn't make financial sense and it didn't make personal sense by not having that time with our children or each other. And so we just got to this point where it was a really easy decision to make. It had been something that was in the pipeline for quite a while in terms of Joe with Strive Lane. So it's not as though it just happened overnight or on a whim Mm. um we'd had years of fleshing it out and what would that actually look like and how would we Mm. fund that and it just so happened that um going on maternity leave and then handing the baton over to me going back to work and joe being on paternity leave seemed like the if there was going to be a time it was now or never but we're both very driven, ambitious, and there's there's never a plan B. If we commit to something, then we make it work. All in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. But you all have to be all in, don't you? 100%, yeah. Yeah, but I think it goes back to what Joe was talking about with his own parents. The, the base of that relationship is friendship, and it's the same for us. Um, if if you can't inspire each other or be friends before partners or parents, then it would get very boring very quickly for me. So we um, likewise we we've always um, I guess had each other's back. And we a couple of years ago we started getting into the barefoot investor and one of the things that was mentioned in there i think it it was like a a finance date night. oh good old scotty pape yeah so financial date night if your listeners haven't haven't uh, picked up the barefoot investor book he talks about having a night where you can be kid free but have a financial date night so 
I'm pretty sure that's what the term is called. You know you've hit peak adulthood when your date night involves finances. Finances, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's he really says, living like, the dream, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, he says talking about finances isn't isn't sexy, right? So he made a, a, a point to write about it in his book where couples have a time where they can go out and um, have a few wines and talk about their finances because... Did you do it? Oh, we had to because the thing for us as well is that not talking about finances is not an option when particularly um, with the culture that Joe comes from because in the Samoan community, like a lot of other communities, the children provide the finances for the parents. They call it remittances. When um, my parents moved to New Zealand, they were getting a lot of money when you when you um, convert it to Samoan Tala. So when my parents were working and they were working very hard to in several jobs to to make money to take care of us, they weren't just taking care of us, they were sending remittances or money back to the islands where their parents were both both sets of parents were because it's that whole tribal village mm. you know we stay together as a community and to give it whole... a lot of context though there's a lot of social fabric points at play in australia we are incredibly lucky because we have a healthcare system we have a, a welfare system there are so many financial supports that make up our society that don't exist in a lot of other countries. A lot of developing countries, yes. And Samoa is just one. Um, They don't have the the industry that we have in Australia Mm. that Mm. generates money as well. So it's not just that you provide these finances because it's your family and you love them. You do it out of necessity. So, yeah, finances have always been part of our relationship and it's more just allocating the pennies. (laughs) (laughs) So how long was it? Did you have your paternity leave for? Was it 12 months? I think it was six months. Mm. It felt really quick. Then was squeezing in a whole lot of planning and Mm. a whole lot of creating when Roman and Ezra were asleep. So Kate, you went back to work for how many days a week? Three days a week um, when Roman was around four months I think and that was just after COVID yeah so um he Roman was born in January and then COVID I guess really hit Australia at the end of Feb it wasn't the initial plan to go back to work but with the uncertainty of everything it was future proofing financially essentially to go back to work but also I really needed that social connection and with mothers groups cancelled with um, you know community groups cancelled there was no not just social mothers groups but there was no mothers groups being held by um, midwives or there was just absolutely nothing and so um, being at home with a newborn who um, I'd had pretty uh, significant postnatal depression with him as well and not having any family in Townsville. Our community existed in our little cul-de-sac um, and thank goodness we had 
a street full of families um, that really, you know, you would see everyone out on the street at the end of the day. And and that was kind of my lifesaver. But yeah, it was a a financial decision to go back to work as much as it was needing that social Mm -hmm. outlet. So you went through to the end of 2020. And by that stage, you weren't working three days a week. I was putting in a lot of hours. It was basically cramming a full-time workload into part-time hours. And again, that I'm not unique in that situation. That is news. But I could feel myself just getting tired and asking, why am I doing this? And you report on a lot of things that the community rightly expects you to report on. But I don't think that the average person realises the um, emotional toll that that can take. Um, And I remember there was the the crash where the the kids were killed. um, And I reported on that one, I think only a week later. I attended three different car crashes which were all fatalities and it's just big news that anybody could pick up the baton and and report on that it didn't need to be me um and so I just got to a point where I jokingly said that I would just do a bit of freelancing I had absolutely no plan um but fast forward a couple of months and I'm a, a fully fledged freelancer now. <laughs> and cool. killing it. Yeah, you're doing awesome. So what would be your tips to any other couples out there pivoting in their life and, and, and juggling all those shifts and everything and change? I think you have to know what your priorities are because we took an enormous financial cut. But for us, money is not the priority. And happiness comes a lot higher than that. Um, and that's, and it can sound really cliche or whatever, but when you're, when you're talking to families that have just lost a family member, they're life-altering moments that happen in people's lives every single day. And we just really wanted to build experiences with, our kids any parent will tell you that it just goes so quickly Mm. Um, and for us that meant more than climbing a a ladder within a job we don't do it for a job title so Mm. and I would I would say to develop the two qualities of communication and accountability I think communication and accountability are two qualities that go hand in hand and In our relationship, it was having those tough conversations, but also holding each other accountable in terms of where we stuffed up or when we're slack, because it happens in relationships where you can be slack in terms of the way you communicate or how you've interpreted a message. And I think we do quite well in terms of... Yeah, like I'm not afraid to let Joe know that I was not put on this earth to do the washing or the dishes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, We're all around. very capable people. Yeah, and I have to remind Kate that I'm not this 
domesticated, beautiful Polynesian man that just ended up in her house to um, take care of everything. (laughs) Yeah, he's still living up to it. (laughs) But yeah, no, I see it a lot um, in relationships where there's a lot of conversations that aren't being held. And I feel like there's a lot of held back conversations. There's a lot of conversations that do happen that I guess aren't handled well. And I think if we've found that communicating in terms of if, if we, if things don't go according, if that conversation didn't go so well, then we can pick it up at another time, like give each other time. And I think that's a really good thing too, Mm -hmm. being able to give each other time and space. And like we've identified that we do things completely in completely different ways and our parenting styles are so different we provide completely different things to the boys (laughs) i can't do the superhero role playing and getting into character that well hang on hang on kate didn't watch power rangers like what parent of this generation did not watch power rangers four year old is obsessed with the 90s power rangers i wasn't prepared for that meanwhile i can watch bluey all day with roman Power Rangers were pretty cool, and I reenact them a lot for Ezra. And I Kate just feels let them a little go left, for it. Left out, <laughs> and it's like Kate doesn't like how I fold the the laundry. That even that's an issue. I'm, I'm like, oh no, it just took I'm me like, a little while to get used to because <laughs> you grow up with your parents folding the towels in a yes. certain way, and you think everybody oh, folds the towels mindset, like this. Kate. Yeah, wow. no, no, I'm yeah. totally with you on and this And my one. mind was blown when he started folding the towels in a in square. A, in a square. Uh, and I and I didn't even know towels. it was possible. No, I, I folded the towels in a square, and I looked at him. My and husband like, does wow, the same. Wow, that's immaculate. Like, yeah. seriously, I, I look at the big picture. I'm, I'm like, wow, you really just got up me for the way I folded the towels. When you and then you when have you to have a the joke later with yourself, of, and you're like, oh yeah, it's someone's possible. actually done the folding. Like, <laughs> hello, be grateful. Like. You know what I mean? We've had like, the same conversation yeah, in our house. Yeah, it's crazy, but like... And can, you have to pull yourself it, up too. Like me realising that it is possible that the, the towels can be folded in a number of ways. So cool. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. BRAVE is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.